0: anything publicly that you see that is a success, there is an equivalent challenge on the other side of it that you probably don't hear about. So whatever peaks are out there publicly,
1: there is valleys privately. hello hello welcome to the five talents podcast i'm your host abel pacheco i interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences so if you're an investor a high w2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job then this podcast is for you Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real-life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, hello. This is uh, Abel Pacheco with Five Talents Commercial Real Estate, joining us for the Five Talents Podcast. I'm just very excited because I have an amazing guest for us this afternoon, this morning. And uh, for our viewers and listeners, we've got a treat. Somebody I know personally, professionally, you know, for years. And you may know, I think you see that I, I've partnered with him more than a couple times. And there's a reason why. Mr. Devin Elder. Devin is the founder of DJE Texas Management Company. It's uh, a vertically integrated multifamily investment firm that's based here in San Antonio, Texas, or where we're from. The, the company's completed over 200 successful investment transactions, including 2, 000, over 2,000 units of multifamily. Without further ado, let me let Devin Elder introduce himself for a moment. Devin, thank you very much, man. Thanks for joining. Hey, Abel. Glad to be on, man. Thanks for uh, having me. I sincerely appreciate it. And you know, by looking at this uh, introduction, you are a very humble individual. You know, I, I think for the most part, man, you've done some amazing things over the past number of years in real estate. And I just, you know, am first of all thankful that uh, I have an opportunity to share with listeners and viewers a little bit more about your background and story. I think it's going to help a lot of people, you know, just kind of come to their next step, whatever they're looking for and, uh, me helping me personally, man, I appreciate it. So.
0: Oh yeah. Awesome.
1: So what I'd like to do is I know you've shared probably your story a few times. I've heard it. I've seen it, seen a few podcasts and interviews, but for our network, my network personally, can you share how you got started in real estate? You know, was you are doing multifamily today, your first deals, single family and you know, also more than real estate, like what were you doing? Were you working full time? Did you have a career, job, things like that? So, so I know some of these answers, but kind of leading you in the direction, man. What, uh, tell me a little bit about your start.
0: It started with the desire for freedom, right? That's the underlying driver for me, and it always has been. The fact that it's real estate is just a byproduct of that. Real estate turned out to be the best vehicle that I could find. I call it kind of like the regular guy's way to get wealthy. You know, I think you could, you know, I I know some people that have done extremely well through family businesses or inheritances. I've known some people that have gotten extremely lucky through maybe like getting in a Bitcoin at the right time. Or something like that. And then I know some people that have had some stock options and companies that IPO'd and, and were able to like radically transform their financial life through, through those. But I figured out kind of early on that I wasn't going to have any of those lightning strikes and I didn't have any um, family finance foundation to, to start from. So I wanted to be financially independent. This started around 2008. I didn't even know it was going to be real estate. I tried some different businesses and looked at kind of some online businesses and spent... A lot of time and energy kind of pursuing that and failing. I think that's important to highlight that um, I failed at a ton of stuff. I just, I, I don't really look at it. I don't spend a lot of time looking at it unless there's a lesson there, but I, I don't spend a lot of time crying about it. I just kind of move on. But it's important, I think, for people to understand that um, that I've failed a ton, even before I got to real estate, trying to start online businesses and stuff like that. But it's always that desire for freedom. Then finally, I went to a real estate seminar and I was already geared up and had that I wanted to have passive income, I wanted to be financially independent, and the real estate stuff. I was like, "Yeah, this is it. This is my thing." And I knew immediately right there that that's what I was going to do. And that was in my mid thirties at the time, so early thirties. So it's not like I started this early or started with a bunch of money. I didn't start with any money. I started in my mid thirties, you know, and just had an overwhelming desire to create a lot of freedom for myself and and um, create a lifestyle. So. I think that's important to start with because that, that drives everything. You know, I think your reason will push you through whatever. And that, that uh, desire has pushed me through countless obstacles. You know, I think any success that I've had is just an ability to persevere. You know, I mean, it is not, (laughs) I sometimes say like anything publicly that you see that is a success, there is an equivalent challenge on the other side of it that you probably don't hear about. So whatever peaks are out there publicly, there is valleys privately, right? Challenges to overcome, stuff like that, right? So, at any rate, that was it. That's what's driving that. I started uh, flipping, ha- or I started with rental houses, you know, buy a house uh, with hard money and renovate it. And um, that was a really cool model. I, 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 that model's amazing. Uh, refinance out your cash. And then once I've done a bunch of single families, I started flipping houses. That got me kind of that start of some bigger capital, you know, in, in the multifamily world you might need to uh, put $100,000 earnest money up. So you can't just show up with no money and play ball. You know, you've got to have a partner, you've got to have some cash. So flipping houses gave me uh, that kind of baseline of capital to get into these bigger deals that, that were, you know, you, you got to have some, some capital to play ball in larger multifamily. So flipping houses got me there. Flipping houses also got me out of my day job. And I, I looked at flipping houses like, like bartending, right? Hey, it's good money. It can be fun. It's not a long-term play, you know, but it got me to the next step. And really, I knew that once I could get out of my corporate job, that all that time and energy was going to be freed up to focus on the business. And that's when things really, really, really took off. Was once I had my full time and energy at my disposal to go pursue this business. And I did have a little period there when I left my job, where I was like, "Hey, man, I've checked out. I got, I got uh, cash flow to cover my bills. I'm functionally retired." And I'm going to take advantage of it and, and play golf on a Wednesday morning and just kind of enjoy it. And th- that probably lasted three or four months before it was like, all right, this is, you can't sit around. Um, I, you know, that's just, that's, we're not designed to, to do that, right? We're designed to go out and do stuff. So had a little period of some relaxing and reflection and then really kind of threw myself into growing the business. So that that was the start for me, you know, as houses and then flip and and getting, uh, building some capital. I was fortunate early on to meet some guys that were doing big multifamily deals and get to be buddies with them. I had no earthly idea how to do what they were doing, but I I always knew, and I don't know if I knew this from, you know, from mentors I've had or from reading books or from all the above, but you just got to get around the people that are doing what you want to do. And it, it, it's okay if you don't understand how it's osmosis, right? We just mimic the people that we are around. Just, you know, it's just an immutable law. And so that's why you see people that are groups of friends, they kind of all dress the same, they kind of all talk the same, they might prefer the same brands, you know, people just sort of gravitate towards their tribe. And so uh, part, part of that for me was being very intentional about the tribe that I hung out with and making it a real point to be you know You've heard maybe the dumbest guy in the room, right? And if you're looking around and you're the smartest guy in the room, you're not learning and growing so it was years and years of of putting myself in situations where I was around some real superstars and felt like a moron but There was a mentor of mine that told me many years ago Something that stuck with me. He said act like you belong, you know, you're gonna move into that neighborhood and live with those people that have all that money, just act like you belong. You don't need to make a big deal that, that, you know, you don't know what you're doing. You want to be in that group or in that mastermind with these people that are superstars, act like you belong. And a lot of that is just keeping your mouth shut. So I did that for a few years, you know, just getting in really, really great groups. Some of them I would have to buy into, you know, and that was okay, because over time you, you start to pick up the characteristics and the habits of your peer group. And I mean sometimes like that's most of it. It's just getting around the right peer group. Because guess what? Guess what people that have a lot of money do? They talk deals, they help each other out, they invest with each other and that's the, that's just what that's what that peer group does, right? So I think it's hard fit. to grow into that without being have
1: already kind of
0: being in that peer group.
1: Yeah, if you if you want to get physically fit, you probably join a health club, a group and you start logging your your calories in your app and then you're looking around who's in the community and you join another one and you start, you know, picking up some physical activities with other people and you get healthy. The same thing applies for creating wealth and, you know, creating that legacy of uh, cash flow and net worth creation. It's like, well, if you get around people that are doing that same you're going to do the same thing. You're going to get healthier on this side or you're going to create more wealth for yourself. It just depends on which group you join. You join the wrong group and you're going to head down the wrong path. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Same thing for criminals. You know, you join, you're not a criminal. You join a group of some criminals. You're going to become a criminal. Become it just, a it's just a human law. It's going so to happen.
1: You, you have, uh, there's more than a few things that I want to pause here on, man. So I heard the failure part of it. You've had those failures and that's what a lot of people don't see. I also heard, you know, the desire for freedom and to create it for yourself. And then I also heard, you know, just you know, getting around the right people. So let, let's focus on those three things for a moment if I can. So you found, you know, real estate was the ticket for you. You said, hey, I know immediately this is the right path. Great choice, by the way did you like invest in some other opportunities? Like, was it multi-level marketing? Did you try to own, you know, and flip something or sell something else or, you know, just, you know, high level, like what were those things that you tried or?
0: You know, before real estate, I tried creating some income producing websites. This was like in 2008. So this was a while ago. And I I started studying it and I didn't spend a tremendous amount of money on it, but I spent a tremendous amount of time on it and had a little bit of success with it, but it wasn't anything where I was going to retire or anything like that. But I, I had spent a tremendous amount of time and energy because I thought that could be an Avenue and that, that just completely failed. And so, you know, I just decided I was going to not make that failure count against me because if you just give up and go, all right, you know, I'll just work this job till I'm 60 or whatever, then, then that failure really hurts. But if you, if you make that failure, a, stepping stone to your eventual big future, then, then it's all good. And so I learned a ton about being efficient with my time. I learned a ton about technology systems and things like that, that are you know, still beneficial today, right? Yeah, in my
1: business. yeah that's awesome. So the moment you found real estate that made sense. Uh, wealth creation, appreciation, force flipping. Oh, another point I wanted to uh, capitalize on was, you recognized or realize that single family was a great way to create active capital. The capital in your hand that you said it was necessary, can't just jump in a multifamily deal without any cash. So walk me through that mindset, like was it very intentional or did you happenstance say, oh man, I've, now I've got 100K and let me put it in there. Or was the mindset already focused, like I'm gonna do five deals and then go do you know multifamily or walk us through that for a second.
0: Yeah, my focus early on, so I started with, with single-family rentals. I was not, uh, you know, I was interested in the cash flow and things like that and um, was not starting to flip houses until I'd done probably a dozen single-family projects already and thought, well, I could probably just get into the house, renovate it and sell it and take a profit immediately rather than just uh, getting the cash flow. And so, but my goal all along uh, was to have passive income from the very beginning, passive income that covered my bills. <laughs> yeah, that was that was step one, and at that point, I was going to let myself quit my day job. So I worked for really, really hard for about two and a half years at a corporate job and building my single-family rental portfolio and small multifamily in order to have passive income every month to, to cover my bills. Once I did that, I allowed myself to quit work and start flipping houses and you know the first house that I flipped was like a 40k uh, net and I thought well 40k I mean I'm making six figures at work but that house wasn't that much work you know and I could do it on the side and you start thinking if you could string one of those a quarter going well now I'm making more than I'm making at work and I could do a lot more so that was you know that flipping house idea was kind of what got me thinking that there was a real opportunity cost to being at work. But I still wanted the passive income base. You know, I wanted to be able to pay my bills without working and then spend all my extra time trying to get these bigger chunks of capital. So to answer your question, the main goal was passive income to cover my bills. That would let me quit work. And once I quit work, I didn't have the, the grandest vision I just knew I wanted to be a multifamily at the time. And I knew that if I had all my time and energy to pursue it, I knew I could build something that would be like a life changing
1: business. Yeah. Well, you definitely made the right choice, my friend, and took some <laughs> big risk and some good, uh, you know, leap of faith type of thing, which is what I, I found that a lot of people that I talked to today, it's hard for them to take that mental leap of even the first part of what you said, which is, Work hard for two and a half years to keep their day job while they're doing it, you know, creating a business, and even just that, it's like, well, what happens if I put two and a half years worth of time in and don't have success? They can't even get over the first part, much less, I'm going to leave my job completely and pursue this full time, which is it's a big mindset thing, right?
0: It is. I mean, what I do is not rocket science. It's kind of harsh, but if you're not succeeding, you don't want it bad enough because. The tools are there, the resources are there. Yeah. And you, you, I think you just have to have this mentality that um, you're going to do something. And if it takes three tries, that's okay. If it takes 10 tries, that's okay. If it takes 1,000 tries, that's okay. You're still going to do it. And that's the, that's the difference, you know, is that it's going to happen no matter what. And th- that mindset lets you go through a lot of BS because it's like a marriage, you know? You're like, well, a minute, I'm not leaving. So it's a very different mindset than, yeah, you're just dating this girl. You just met her. Something came up. I'm out of here. You know mm-hmm. the, the other thing, too, I think it's important that I think a lot of people maybe are not um, geared for is there's, a, there's kind of a spectrum. And on one side is security, and on the other side is freedom. And they are not next to each other. They're on opposite sides. So if you want freedom, you, you leave security. And most people are not willing to do that. Most people want security more than they want freedom. And they're willing to trade all kinds of stuff in their life for, for a perception of security. Um, And and I was willing to say, I'm willing to completely give up security in order to pursue freedom, which I said
1: at the beginning is my number one priority. Right. That's a paradigm, man. That's a paradigm shift. And that's a hundred percent, you know, feels a hundred percent accurate as you say it. Right. Wow. That's a, that's awesome. So, so here you are. You're you're trying to transition over. You've created that income stream. You're finally in a position. And you're like, well, hey, I'm going to go bigger. Uh, what were some of the moves that you made? You know, think about it when you when you first started, and then maybe like you know, parallel that to today. This is a big difference from multifamily Devin first started to multifamily Devin two thousand plus units and you know, having massive success right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I went through a, a process that I always tell people they should go through and that have seen work for countless people. And, and the first step is to passively invest. Second step is to be a general partner with an experienced sponsor. And third step is to go run a deal yourself. And so, you know, I passively invested in some deals just so I could, cause I didn't, I mean, it's funny multi-family pretty straightforward you got income you got expenses and if you got something left over that's some cash flow for your investors and then once that's met some for yourself so pretty simple income and expenses but uh it is pretty intimidating the first time you look at a L on a, a 200 unit apartment complex and yeah a lot of line items and it can be kind of overwhelming but Multiple at the end of the tabs.
1: day yeah <laughs> it's
0: just a right. piece of, Seems a rental house, you know, income yeah. and expenses and cash flow left over.
1: But- I looked at the 100 lines the first time, but I didn't, I didn't realize there was like six or seven tabs. <laughs> so I go, I was expecting that first one, but not the ones tab. <laughs> Dude, second, third, fourth, and fifth of the yep. Excel. Anyways, yeah, it can be That's overwhelming. Right. So it can get overwhelming,
0: but the. You know, the process is invest passively just so you can start to just understand it, period. See reports, see what the sponsor's sending out. Um, and step, second step is to get on the general partnership or or partner up. And so, you know, my multifamily journey was passively investing to start. Then I bought a little six unit, no partners. So I wanted to test it out. Ran everything myself. You know, I was signing leases myself down on the weekend on the south side. It's a little uh, property I own. And then my next deal was partnering with uh, some people that were that had already done some deals on a seventy-five unit deal, and that was not something that I had to go do all myself. But it was a partnership. Shortly after that, I bought my own deal as the primary sponsor, and then that, you know that's really kind of when the that's when the brokers start calling you. You know, hey, you want to go to lunch? You know, because then 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 you're in a small group of buyers. That's what brokers want. They want buyers, people that can close. So
1: before we go too much farther, probably for the, uh, the passive investors that may be listening right now. So they've been listening to the multifamily, they're working their profession, maybe they haven't put in that two and a half years yet, but they know I want to eventually get here. So they're going to invest passively. That's their next move, right? If you can project yourself into their, in their mind and maybe Devin back then, how did you vet your partners, you know, you, back then? I don't, well, I don't know. You tell me, were you like an underwriting an- analyst king? Could you, you know, look at these pro and, you know, understand the fully? Or did you say, well, this is kind of, uh, you know, I know a little bit of this information. What was your mindset then your knowledge base? And then how did you vet those partners? So that would be great for, for others to hear.
0: Yeah. So what I did was I really relied on partners expertise to say, man, these guys are further down the road. This is what they're saying the numbers are. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with them. Did I know how to pick apart every piece of it? Nope. You know, it's a personal relationship. Yeah. and And I know that's not ideal. Ideally, everybody gets educated and understands it all inside and out. But the truth is you're betting on people, you know, because you make the Excel model say whatever you want. You know, you're betting that the guy running the deal when he gets kicked in the teeth and thrown a curveball, that he can deal with it. For me, that's, and a lot of people can't deal with it. You know, a lot of people get kicked in the teeth or thrown a curveball, and, um, and they cave. So you, you need, you know, I almost like a partner that's been been knocked around because you want to see how people react to that. You know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You've heard that. So to answer your question, I uh, was definitely relying on partners expertise to say, Hey, here's the numbers. Here's other projects we've done. Um, and we have a reasonable expectation that we can hit these numbers yeah and so okay that's all right and you know we that's kind of the same way we treat our passive investors like you're kind of coming to us to take care of all this for you yes you can dive into the numbers and everything but um as a passive investor you kind of just want to get your check so that's that's what i see a sponsor's duty as is to be the sanitizer right there's a lot of complexity in real estate you know we're talking about apartments there's a lot of People issues, resident issues, stuff like that that can come up, and the sponsor's job is just to handle all that and send the check to the passive investor. And so that was kind of the approach I took. Was I want to learn all this stuff? I want to look and see. I want to be a part of it. I want to put skin in the game and invest in it. But I'm heavily relying on the sponsor to to run the numbers and and to uh, you know to guide me through that. So a lot of it is, do I like this guy? And you know, have we spent time together to where I feel like I can trust this person? you know, and then, and then that, the numbers are secondary to, to that in my experience anyway.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the first time I put 50 K down, my head went to, well, I actually know him personally and I probably could find out where he lives. <laughs> and, and I did, you know, did go to his wedding and you know, I he, he came from where I came from. He's like a normal guy. Like I can relate to this individual. Right. So that's probably different than somebody that's, let's say, if anybody on is on this podcast, like a high net worth, you know, accredited investor, you know, multi 1000000 you've already, you're already done and fast forwarded through that process. Sure. Maybe for those two perspectives, how would you go about now? You, you want to make the investment, you know, like, and, tr- you know, trust this individual. Now, what are the next things that you're looking for as a passive investor? And you know, how, how do I dig in here and say, okay, I'm I'm ready to move forward. I, you know, I understand. Let's move. Now, one deal and there's you know, deal number one, deal number two, like how do I even go through that mindset of choosing the right deal and choosing the right investment? Yeah, that's
0: a good question. I think you know, a lot of people have the problem of um, I guess you call it too much money, but like deployable capital, right? Because a lot of a lot of people that have a lot of capital they don't want to be sitting in cash, you know, with, with most of it, you want to have it deployed and, um, and multiplying. You just, you have to do that in a, in a strategic way. And you obviously don't want to lose any of your principal. So I think for, for sponsors, you know, early on, it's kind of friends and family and who can you, who can you raise capital from based on your personal relationship. But then as you grow and do deals and have a track record, that's what people that, maybe are coming to your company are looking for. Right. And so that that's kind of, it's kind of a chicken or egg thing for a sponsor. It's like, you have to have, if you don't have a track record, you have to borrow some track record or rely on personal relationships to get started. And then, and you know, the most important thing is to, to develop a good track record because if your first deal out of the gates a flop, that's going to be real hard to build a company around. Right. So, um, you you make sure your your first couple of deals are good deals. Then you can demonstrate a track record. And that's when you can start to attract more capital that's maybe, you know, a little more removed yeah. from your kind of immediate core friends and family. So as a passive investor evaluating deals, I think it's important to just look at a lot of deals, right? Be on a lot of lists, talk to different sponsors, get comfortable with it. And and that's what a lot of people we talk to do. You know, they yeah, just you
1: gave them. that advice. Uh, somewhere through the process of my past couple of years, and it was join XYZ group or, or website and, you know, just start looking at deals and you can start to see different pro and how people, you know, maybe are more conservative or people are more risky re- returns or returns are lower, higher different markets. I think that was very valuable because you could look at a number of opportunities. I have heard that question a lot too. It's, um, or a question that I hear a lot is, how do you find other partners to invest with and to, to look at multiple opportunities and, and just, you know, it comes up a lot. And I go, well, they the internet, Google multifamily investing. <laughs> and you'll find a bunch of names to go check out. But anyways, uh, so, okay. Passive investing. I think, you know, that, that helps a lot because you're trying to figure out no like and trust. You put some money in, I'm ready. Now, as an operator, as a syndicator, as a general partner, as a sponsor, all of those words for anybody listening are kind of synonymous to the new passive investors are like kind of in the same realm. Devin is a high performing individual in this area, right? Let's take the, you know, the last few minutes here if we can. Tell us about your business today, like vertically integrated property management You have a pretty big team. It's no longer Devin signing leases at six doors. You're much different company, right? So maybe you can walk us through your business today. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the 5 Talents Podcast. After listening to a few episodes, deep down, do you know that multifamily and commercial real estate investing is one of the best ways to create financial freedom? If you said yes to that question and you are where i was a few years ago then i'd absolutely love to connect with you a few years ago i started personally consuming a ton of real estate education i traveled all over the country as many real estate conferences and seminars that i could go to i took 200 plus hours of real estate education i spent thousands of dollars along the way And I did this because I knew the path to financial freedom for me and my family was through commercial real estate and syndication. So if you've made a similar decision, I'd love to connect with you and potentially in the future, I'd love to partner with you as well. Take a moment, go to 5tcre.com forward slash invest, and I'd love to set up a time to talk.
0: It's been a natural progression to, to bring on team members and it's always a balance for any business owner, right? When you're committing to payroll that there needs to be the ROI there. Uh, one big thing for us recently was starting the management company. You know, you're never going to, let's say you're a multifamily owner. You're always going to have a management fee, three or 4% of revenue uh, on, a, on bigger stuff, maybe higher percentage for smaller stuff, but you're always going to have that expense. And it got to a point where, where I said, you know, we've got enough deals here. And frankly, it came down to hiring the right person when the right person was up to run my property management company I was like okay we're going we 're going to do this uh, didn't even really want to, but you know it's it's all about the people on the team and this team member made a lot of sense so made sense to start the management company and now instead of paying it to a third party, it's coming to one of our companies and it 's not really what it 's about it's about control so That's, we've got that management company. And so we grew, you know, uh, by a bunch of employees pretty much overnight because we started the management company, but I have my VP of operations running that management company. So I pretty much just talk to him, which keeps it very scalable for me. Right. Uh, And then internally uh, hired an office manager about a year ago to help out with a lot of, uh, there's just so many, so many tasks, you know, internally that uh, I need to get off my plate. And then also recently hired an investor relations manager, because I was looking at, you know, the business, you basically need to be focused on deals and dollars and and everything else, you know, is not as high value. And so you're 80, 20, find
1: more deals and find more investors, correct? That's it.
0: Yeah. And so it's like, well, I can't, I noticed it was really effective to have that new investor call. Hey, somebody comes in and you have a 20, 30 minute call with them or a 10 minute call, whatever. Uh, I knew that if I could have a few of those every day, we could really grow the business, but I just, man, I'm running a million other things. There's just not time. So it made sense to bring on an investor relations role to the company. And now that frees me up to be more, uh, more of a CEO, uh, to oversee the company, there's still lots of you know stuff that I need to do. But the goal is, you know, for any company that it's not solely reliant on the founder to to do everything. That's kind of, that's an inefficient company. So I'm big big on systems and processes. That's what the team looks like now, and the plan is just to continue to to buy multifamily deals in our backyard that make sense, operate them ourselves for maximum efficiency. And continue sending those those monthly distributions
1: to investors, you know. Yeah, and
0: that, that's, that's awesome. Model we feel like's pretty sustainable.
1: That's awesome, man. Congratulations. And uh so let's dig into the systems a little bit. We we have a few more minutes here and I'd love to hear, you know, when you say systems, or some people can't even understand uh they're they haven't done their first one as a general partner. Maybe they've invested a bunch of times. Uh talked to an investor the other day, 10 plus deals. 2,000 plus doors as a passive investor. Now he's going to do his deal for the first time as a general partner. So that mindset, I go, wow, there's going to be a lot of extra work, right? I don't even know what all those things are as a new general partner. So maybe help describe what are those details, the nitty gritty, the tactical, and then an example of the system that helps you work through it.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you look at the life, let's look at the life cycle of a deal. You know, have the acquisition process. You have the capital, uh, or what I would consider to be like a private equity component of your business. And then you have an operations component of your business. And those are three very different things. Your acquisitions process, you're going to need to look at a ton of deals. You know, one thing that helped us was outsourcing some of the underwriting to say, I, I can't spend all day tearing through financial statements to, to even know if we're close. And so that was a big help for us. The other thing is creating some systems in a, in a CRM and some automation so that you're not, you're not spending a lot of time on admin stuff. If you can automate it, you know, I'm a big fan of looking at a process and and running it through a filter that says, number one, top, top of the filter. Can we eliminate this? Like, do we need, is it possible to just eliminate this? In some cases? Yeah. Whatever, something you're doing, you can just stop doing it. If you can't eliminate it, uh, can it be automated? And in a lot of cases, yeah, this process we're doing over here, we could probably build a system or an automation to let software do this or or do a large portion of it. You know, an example there is investor relations software, right? I mean, we send out millions of dollars to investors and it's a couple of buttons we push through some software that we upload to our bank and boom, it goes out. Everybody's got their accounting. Everybody's got their statements online. They can view their distributions and stuff like that. And I mean, that's a process through some software that, that could be somebody's full-time job if it wasn't automated. You know, that, that could be one person's full-time job um, managing all that. And so th- that software really helps that. So I look, I look to see, can we eliminate something? No. Can we automate it if we can't automate it? Who can I give it to? Who's a person I can give it to? Whether that's an internal person on the team, or maybe it's a you know an outsourced person like a like a virtual assistant, or even outsourced like a CPA, right? You know, somebody that that can take it off your plate, so that you got a system and a process for every piece of the business. So if you look at acquisitions, private equity, and operations are kind of three three different things. The CRMs really helped us on the acquisition side. Outsourcing underwriting has really helped us uh, creating templates around things like lois so that you can create an loi in 30 seconds um creating you know email templates and things like that to go out to brokers and stuff like that has been super helpful and then creating some automations as you go through processes right so as as this deal moves from this stage to this stage well in the new stage it's going to fire off tasks to people on the team to do different things right and so it's not rocket science it's, real estate's not hard. It's just people make it hard and all the people that you have to deal with create complexity, but the real estate itself is pretty straightforward. So that's on the acquisition side, some of the processes that we've, that we've used. Uh, and, and then the equity side, um, you have to create systems around talking to people, you know? And so we have targets around how many new investors we talk to. Right. Um, and so then back to the CRM and systems around that. It's automated follow-ups, it's thank yous, gifts, things like that, that we built a whole process around talking to new people. And so there's that whole component. And then then the really, I mean, central to the business is that investor relations uh, portal, right? Where we can launch a new deal, raise capital, uh, manage documents, right? For large numbers of people, we might have 30, 50, 100 investors on a single project. So that, you know, having your, your document management auto, uh, automated is, is incredibly important. Um, same thing for, for distributions, right? That's allowed us. That software has allowed us to do monthly distributions, which people love, you know? But if I we had to write checks, um, there was a deal I did where we wrote checks every quarter. Well, we didn't write them. We got the bank to do it, but the bank always needed an override, and it was this huge process, and it was like, we, we can't do that every month. But now, through yeah. some software automation, we can send out some checks, so we can send out some distributions in in minutes, right? And so um, you're looking for ways to cut big processes down. And I saw this in the corporate world where it's just massive inefficiencies that I don't have the luxury of just throwing headcount at it. Oh, I'm going to hire this guy for this big dollar amount and and let it be inefficient. There's just not room for that. So we've we've got to be extremely efficient. Software is a big way to do that, and then operations that's, that's tough. You know, I mean, I've used third party management companies for years with, with varying degrees of success. You know, I mean, we've always, always been able to hit our investor metrics, which is great, but you know, managing properties is tough. Managing property management company can be tough. And so that's why we decided to bring it in house. Not that it solves everything, but it makes things a lot more efficient decision making process a lot faster. So on your operation side, for us, the way we've handled that is just to Hire a really good person to run the management company that had a lot of experience, and give them leeway to do what they know they need to do based on their based on their experience. So that's been some of the systems and processes and, and teams that we've had for what I would call the three three areas: acquisitions, private equity, and, and operations.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So those those three themes that you hear over and over again—kind of how I I think I heard some of this, maybe didn't catch it. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around all of the different things that go into it, but you're trying to figure out your impact areas, your 80-20s, and that's where you want to spend as much of your personal time as, as, as the leader, the highest impact areas, everything else. What is it? Write it down. Put it, all the steps in. A- acquisition versus due diligence versus close versus operations and list everything down in every phase. And then you kind of go back and say, man, can I automate this in some way? Yes. Okay, let's do it. If I can't, it's still important, but maybe you're not your high impact area. You go back and say, hey, who which kind of head or who can I have that would help me here? It's absolutely necessary, but not my 80-20 impact area. And that's what you're doing. And it's uh very much run like a business, which I think is kind of uh, it's it's maybe funny, I think, for some other people to hear. They just think, real estate, I'm gonna be the owner, I'm gonna do this all this work on my own and uh what you're describing is like a normal 10 million dollar business and then when you you know have 10 of them you're creating a hundred million dollar business which now has a lot of headcounts and it's nice to hear like you run it like a business that's what it is it's not a single deal
0: yeah yeah that's right and and part of the you know balancing act for me as well i started this to create freedom so did i really want to build this big company. Yeah, I, and I still don't think it's a big company, but it's been a, it's been a balancing act to say, you know, we want to do a certain number of deals that we can comfortably do. And I never, ever want to trade off this is just personal philosophy. I don't want to be hating my day. I've got some stressful days, but I still want it to be an enjoyable life. And, and my motto is that every day is a good last day. I don't want to grind it out for five years and look up and my kids are, man, I miss that time with my kids. They're all grown up. And that's, and I was at the office this whole time for what? Like, cause at some point money is like, who cares? You know? Um, I mean, it's, you gotta have it and it's super important. You can do all kind of awesome stuff with it, but not at the expense of your health or your family. Uh, and at the same time, you know, I did quote unquote retire. And I spent a lot of time at home and I realized you can go too far in that direction too. There's such a thing as too much time at home, which, you know, everybody in COVID is, pro- is realizing <laughs> you, know? you don't want to just not work and s- play with your kids every day. That's crazy. You got to have a balance, right? So for me, it's been about growing a business that I enjoy doing. that's engaging for me. that makes everybody a bunch of money. You know, if I got to the end of my day and God said, <laughs> You didn't know this, but this is it. You're done. That I'd go, well, all right. You know, I, I don't have regrets. Don't have regrets because I lived a balanced life. I did a bunch of stuff I wanted to do. I got to have fun with the money that I made. I got to make people money. I got to give away money. I got to employ people, but I never said, hey, I'm going to work 100 hours a week and hate my life for some money. That to me is a terrible trade off. Right, but within that context, building the business works for me. It's a very personal decision, but uh, but I like it and it and it works for me and it's fulfilling. So
1: I uh, there's a there's a lot of good things that you said in there that I resonate with very much, and I I imagine that's that's why I've uh, chosen to partner with you on more than a few deals, that That's awesome. Yeah, we I mean we don't want to go back and be our last day and then have regrets or have that position where it's like you, you were supposed to do more and you didn't. Why didn't you do, you know, I want to hear well done, my good and faithful servant for me. And uh, I want to use every hour, man. So that's, that's awesome. Now uh, before you go, so the last couple minutes, well, let me just make sure I get this out there in case I don't hit it at the end, hit it out. If somebody wants to get in touch with Mr. Devin elder, they want to invest they want to, you know, partner, they want to move forward. Where do they, where should I get in contact with you? How to, what's the best way to, to get in your world?
0: The best way is just our main website. That's djetexas.com. Hit that. You'll see how to, how to put, uh, get, get on a call with us. It's pretty, pretty simple.
1: Cool. And there's ways to learn from you. Without consuming mass amounts of time, you've been able to build a, a system that also helps and coaches and trains other individuals. So yeah. maybe you can kind of talk about that. That'd be awesome too. Yeah,
0: Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, we've, I co-founded a company called dot educators.com because for years there's been requests to, Hey, I want to learn this stuff. And it was always like, I'm too busy. I can't, I can't take you by the hand and, and you spend every day with me, but we intentionally built a system and an ecosystem to be able to, to give people that framework. And that education, and that's a part So, that's we got free content there. You can check that out. And um, we basically coach people through this process and show them
1: everything we do in, in our business. Oh, that's awesome. And then I also heard giving back, which I know you were kind of intentional about this. You started some kind of organization to kind of purposely do so as well, yes. correct? Yep.
0: We started in 2020. Um, we started a foundation. It's the DJE Foundation. It's a 501c3 um, nonprofit. And, you know, for me, that was just a dream of mine. You know, it's, I have, I've had a lot of dreams. I want to do this. I want to have this. I want to live like this. Da, da, da. And one of those things I always had was uh, I want to have a foundation and I want to give away a bunch of money. And, you know, it gets to the point where like, well, you're an adult now and there's no like tomorrow. This is it, man. You're an adult. This is who you are. And so it was one of those things just like, all right, let's start this foundation and let's have, um, you know, i I'm, I have a lot of different companies and, um, a, a lot of them contribute to that foundation on a regular basis. So now it's like, Hey, I have a foundation. It has capital. The only purpose of that foundation is to, is to try to improve people's lives and give that money away. And so It's been a a very nice counterbalance for me because sometimes, you know, I have this thought like, wow, we've done a lot and and I've achieved a lot, you know, is, is one more $10 million building really going to like, is that going to make me happy? You know? Yeah. Um, And sometimes you go, well, you know, that building might, might result in a hundred thousand dollars to my foundation, you know, and that money's going to go to give some kids in the Philippines, some life-changing surgery. Like, okay, let's do it. Let's go buy that building. You know, that's because my family's great, right? My kids have a great life. My, my, my wife, my family has an amazing lifestyle, right? I mean, blessed beyond measure. And so it got to a point for me where it was like, what are we, what are we doing? Are we going to try to hundred X this so I can have a plane in an Island? Like that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't even really juice me up. Right. But Having this long-term vision, and I really got a lot of this from Santicos, right? Santicos movie theaters run huh. as a nonprofit. I didn't and, know that. And, yeah, uh, and and Mr. Santicos, so I never knew, but I would see him driving around a Bentley before he passed, and I always thought, ah, man, that those real estate guys, you know, and that guy. <laughs> uh, and I don't know him, so I can't speak about him. And he's passed now. But what I did see was that, and to even to this day, right now in 2020, Santicos runs as a uh, you know obviously a for-profit organization but all their proceeds go to go to a uh, non-profit which i was like kind i had no idea i had no idea neither yeah. so that got in my head and we're not there yet like we don't run as a non-profit all the companies are for-profit but a lot of these proceeds go to our foundation and then the foundation supports uh, all kind of stuff and that's the, that's pretty exciting you know it's pretty exciting that's super awesome man i
1: you know, I connected with a group as well and they're they doing something close. So they have uh, something in their deal where they're giving a portion of their profits away. And I go, man, that's th- what you're doing, what you're doing checks so many boxes at the same time. You know, it's, it's kind of like, Oh, this is your area of impact as well. I get to invest. I get to do what I love doing, make some money, create some wealth for your family and then give a away. To benefit other people like let's go do another 10 million dollar deal i like the way i like the way that that uh that you said yeah
0: and it helps me kind of balance out you know this 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 concept of capitalism right and sometimes capitalism gets attacked or gets a bad rap you know it's like hey we we can do we can do some good with this money Mm -hmm. Uh, not that that's the only thing we're doing i have stuff for our lifestyle that's that's just for us and it's awesome and i love it right but we're also doing the foundation stuff and and giving away and having an impact and the bigger my business gets and the more profitable my business gets, the foundation is going to be impacted by that, which means somebody out there is going to be impacted, whether it's through the church, whether it's through, uh, you know, surgeries that we support or future stuff. I mean, you know, at some point, I don't know, we might hire a director to run the foundation and how do we, how do we give better and grow bigger? And, And so just having it, you know, my goal this year was just to start it and start giving away money and start funding money to the foundation. That's success for me in the first year. You know, the second year it'll grow and in five years from now, who knows where it'll be, but it's just important for me to plant the seeds, start it and start, start doing that. So it keeps it fun. That's awesome.
1: Well, we're, uh, I don't want to take up too m- more of your valuable time, my friend. And I really sincerely appreciate you joining us. We're on the uh, five talents podcast. Probably see some uh, of the updates shortly, and all of the links uh, that Devin sent us or DJ Texas will be there. And if you want to get a hold of Devin or learn more about what he's doing or get it closer to his world, reach out to him. I'm sure he'd love to chat. And then, uh, you know, we appreciate your time. So, listeners, uh, we would love a review. New podcast getting started up. If you enjoy the time, click the five star rating review and uh, leave us one and really appreciate it. If you're trying to get in touch with me, I'm at 5T, this guy right here, 5TCRE.com, and I look forward to it. My name's Abel Pacheco. Devin, thank you, man, thank you.
0: Abel, hey, well, that was awesome, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir, you too, talk soon.
1: Sounds good. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 5 Talents Podcast with your host, myself, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're gonna bring you interviews from industry experts and commercial real estate investors who followed their dreams and achieved massive success. Before you leave, let me ask you a few questions. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you learn something valuable? Was your mind stretched to what's possible and what you can achieve? Do you want other experts just like the one you heard today? If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, then please take a moment to subscribe to the Five Talents Podcast, give us a five-star rating, and most importantly, leave us a written review tell us what you liked, tell us your favorite guests, give us any feedback. I'm excited to learn and improve so you can get a more valuable show. So thank you again for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast.